we're going to be looking at um, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Uh, I requested Kia to read the passage for us, and he's going to help us with the passage. Over to Kia. Philippians 2, 1 to 11. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count yourselves mo- count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of God. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Kia. You know, once in a while, you come across a portion of scripture that you feel so inadequate to preach on. The the truths outlined in the the portion of scripture that we just read are are so beautiful that mere words and sentences and, and even whole sermons are woefully inadequate to capture the full beauty that's there in this passage. And, and I, I definitely feel so inadequate to preach on this text. Look at verses 5 onwards. Christ Jesus, who was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. How on earth am I going to preach on the beauty of how God humbled himself for the redemption of men and women? So so whatever attempt I'm about to make to preach on this passage is, is going to be feeble and inadequate. But I trust the Holy Spirit that he's going to accomplish whatever he had planned for us when he decided that uh, this Sunday our sermon is going to be from this passage. So let me take a minute to pray before we dive in. Father, we pray that whatever happens, Lord, do not allow us to take this portion of scripture lightly. Whatever happens, please, Lord, do not allow us to just read this and get on with our lives. Help us not to gloss over this. Help us not to um, move move on with the superficial impact of this passage into our hearts. 
it help us lord to to stay on it to remain in your word that we may be transformed in jesus name we pray amen um i'd like to draw three things for us from the passage uh the challenge we must face the journey we must make and why we must make this journey uh the passage definitely throws a challenge at us so three things the challenge we must face the journey we must make and why we must make this journey let's look at the first thing the challenge we must face you're not going to like this and uh this is something that that i was absolutely comfortable with either but but the chat the, but the passage is calling us to face a challenge and and this challenge is just so unmistakable in this passage it's verses 3 and 4 do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility but in humility count others more significant than yourselves let each of you not look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others but in humility count others more significant than yourselves first this verse gives us a crisp and i must say rather uncomfortable definition of humility humility according to this text is equal to counting others more significant than yourselves this is an incredibly hard challenge this passage is throwing at us consider others to be more significant than yourself we live in a culture that conditions us to crave for our own significance and the truth is most of us have have fallen prey to this we have allowed a culture to disciple us into longing and craving and striving for our own significance in the culture we live in significance is everything if you're significant you can be happy if you're significant you are worthy this is how our culture has programmed us to feel and 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 so this striving for significance has become the core of our very existence to be significant to be to be recognized to be celebrated for our success to be celebrated by our bosses by our colleagues by our, our own family this striving for significance has become the very core of our existence even within the church significance is, is a big motivator so whether you're a worship leader or a preacher or or you're leading a prayer or leading an activity in all of these our own significance in doing this has become pretty important yes let, let me take a moment to distinguish between excellence and significance excellence is not self-centered excellence is not about you it's about a job well done 
for the service of others and for the glory of God. But significance is about self. More often than not, the striving for significance is all about self-glory. Isn't that why we desire to be significant? Think about this. We all want to be successful. We all desire to be successful. But we often fail to realize and understand that hiding beneath our desire for success is a craving for significance. If we really look deep into our hearts, we will acknowledge that success is meaningless without significance. What good is it if, if we are successful and, and nobody is in awe of our success? What good is it if we are successful and, and nobody appreciates and celebrates us and, and places the crown of significance on our heads? So it doesn't matter whether you're a teenager or a career professional or a homemaker. We all spend, I, I think, pretty much all of our lives trying to be significant ourselves. So when this passage challenges us to consider others more significant than ourselves, it makes us uncomfortable. This goes against everything the world has been trying to teach us. There's one more thing about significance that, that makes this verse even more challenging to live out. That is, significance is always relative. We see, we feel significant about ourselves, or we rarely feel significant about ourselves, unless we feel more significant than someone else. Significance comes only through comparison. You may have got a 30% pay hike, and, and still not feel good about it if you come to know that somebody else has gotten a 60% pay hike. You, you may be promoted to general manager, but your joy is going to be short-lived when you discover that one of your batchmates from college, someone you consider not so bright perhaps, has been vice president for two years already. Or as a mom or as a homemaker, you lose your joy when you find that your neighbor's child is doing far better uh, in something else, in something that you thought your child was really good at. You see, we, we draw most of our significance only in comparison with others. So significance is always relative. And in this culture of us drawing significance, by feeling we are better than somebody else in this culture, this verse, this passage, Jesus is calling us to consider others to be more significant than yourself. This is like a punch in our stomach that, that leaves us gasping for breath. 
Here we are slogging it out, burning ourselves out, striving, giving, pouring ourselves out, giving it our all so that we can be significant. And the Bible is calling us to count others to be more significant than ourselves. You feel the blow in your stomach. Count others to be more significant than yourselves. Oh, some of us, we would rather die than consider others to be more significant than ourselves. Do you see the challenge we must face? This is the challenge this passage is throwing at, throwing at us. Are we willing to consider others more significant than ourselves? This is the challenge we must face. Listen, if we continue chasing worldly significance, we will never grow in Christ. If we are chasing worldly significance, we will never have the time or the inclination to see God through his word early in the morning or, or even through the day. If we are so busy constantly chasing worldly significance, we will never have the time nor the inclination to engage with and, and serve God's people through the church. Do you see the challenge we must face? Look out not only for your own interest, but also for the interest of others. Think of this past week. How much time did we think about the interests of others? How much time did we spend thinking about the needs of others? It's a challenge we must face. That is the first thing I want to draw for us, the challenge we must face in the culture we live in to consider others more significant than ourselves. The second thing I want to draw for us from the passage is the journey we must make. We saw the challenge we must face and now the journey we must make. This portion of scripture, it, it invites us to make this journey of considering others more significant than ourselves by showing us how Christ Jesus did it. This is where I feel the most inadequate in the sermon. How on earth can anyone adequately preach on how God emptied himself to lift men and women up? Christ Jesus, from the passage we read, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not consider, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There are four steps of humility that Christ took in order to save sinful men and women. Four times over, we see in this passage, Christ humbled himself. I've plotted this out in a chart for us, and the chart is going to come up for us on screen. This passage talks us through four steps of humility. To begin with, Christ was the son of God. He was God himself. 
but he emptied himself to come in the form of man. And having come, of, come as man, he emptied himself again to take on the form of a servant, washing the feet of his disciples to, to, to demonstrate his servant, of course, dying on the cross. And having become a servant, he, he became obedient to death, to his father's will, obedient to death. And not only was he obedient to death, he was obedient to even death on a cross. To die is one thing, to die in shame, to die in public scorn is something else altogether. You see, when Christ endured the cross, it was not just the humility of Christ, it was the humiliation of Christ. When Christ hung on the cross, it was not just his humility, it was the utter humiliation of Christ. Think of it this way, for every sinful desire of, of selfish significance we experienced, Christ was punished with humiliation on the cross. He was spat on, he was slapped on his face, he was beaten, bruised, mocked, stripped naked, and hung on a cross. Christ Jesus, the Son of God, Himself, God Himself, being shamed for the sin of our selfish significance. But here's the beauty of it all Christ emptied Himself that we might be lifted up. It's almost as if for every step lower that Christ took, we were lifted up. And I've kind of demonstrated that, demonstrated that in another chart, which will come. Uh, come up on the screen for us in just a moment. It is as if for every step down that Christ took, we were lifted up one step. We began as sinners, enemies of God. But because of what Jesus did, we were justified, pronounced perfect, righteous. We, are, we were adopted into his family. God became our father. We are being sanctified and sorry again for the typo. And one day when Christ is going to come again, we are going to be glorified, not adopted, glorified on, on, on top of speed. So at every step down that Christ took in emptying himself, we were lifted up one step. We can take away the screen. Thank you. If Christ came to save us by emptying himself, how can we go on filling ourselves with our own sense of significance, of selfish significance. It is only as we gaze on Christ emptying himself, it's only then can we find the power to consider others more significant than ourselves. And that brings us to the third and, and the last thing I'd like to draw for us from this passage. Why must we make this journey? Why must we make this journey of growing in considering others more significant than ourselves? Why must we not only look at our own interests, but also to the interests of others? 
why must we move to becoming more and more other-minded and move away from becoming self-centered? So why must we consider others more significant than ourselves? Why must we serve others? The answer is going to surprise you. The answer is for the sake of your own joy. We must consider others more significant than ourselves for the sake of our own joy. Why is this? Why do I say this? And where do I get this from the passage? The answer lies in the incarnation of Christ. God becoming man. In Christ, why did God become man? Think of that for a minute. In Christ, why did God become man? Did, did Christ become man so that we can all see how God lives? Or did Christ become man so that we can all see how men and women are supposed to live? It's the latter, isn't it? Jesus didn't become man so that we could see how God lives. No, Jesus became man so that we could see how men and women are supposed to live. Christ became man so we could all see how we are supposed to live. And Christ lived as a servant, serving others, considering others more significant than himself, which is why he laid down his life for the sake of others. And so Christ lived like this as a servant to show us how men and women were originally created to live. Christ lived the life that Adam fails to live. You see, we were all originally created to live selflessly. We were all originally created to live a life of serving others. We were not created to live self-centered lives. We were not created to search for selfish significance in a way that really minimizes our desire to serve others. That's not how we were created. We were created to be joyful in serving each other. When sin entered the world, we forgot why and how we were created. And we gave in to the pursuit of selfish significance. And so Christ came to show us how we were originally created to live before sin came and corrupted God's beautiful creation. Listen, here's the nub of everything that I'm trying to say. Searching for our own significance at the expense of serving others will never make us joyful because we were never created to live self-centered lives. Let me repeat that. Searching for our own significance at the expense of serving others will never make us joyful 
simply because we were never created to live self-centered lives. We were created to love and to serve others. So simply put, if we do not live according to our creation design, we can never be truly joyful. See, there's a creation shape that our souls were made with. A shape to love and to serve one another. A shape to flourish together by serving one another. A shape not of selfish ambition. A shape not of how can I get better than everyone else. That's not the shape we were created. We were created in the shape of loving and serving others. So if we do not align to that shape, we can never be truly joyful. If we were created to love and serve others, we can never be joyful living self-centered life. Doesn't matter how successful you become. Doesn't matter how significant you become. Doesn't matter if you're able to realize all your career and life ambitions. You can never be joyful unless we submit to God's creation design of being created to love and to serve each other, to flourish together and not individually. And this is why I said that we must consider others more significant than ourselves for the sake of our own joy. True gospel joy can be found only in the service of one another, never in selfish ambition. So when Christ came as the second Adam, he showed us how the first Adam ought to have lived, but failed. Christ came to show us our true nature. Sin is not our true nature. That came after after the fall. Our true nature, the nature we were created with, is to serve others. And so Christ came, became man, to show us our true nature, how we were really created. And it is only by aligning to our creation design of being created to serve each other that we can experience true joy. This is why God became man, to show us how we were originally created to live. And so we must make this journey of considering others more significant than ourselves, of serving one another, of looking after the interests of others and not just our own interests for the sake of our own joy and, of course, for the glory of Christ Jesus. One last thing, important thing before I close in prayer. Christ came not only to show how we should live. Jesus didn't come to say, see, this is how I lived in service of the others. Now, live like that. No, that's not the gospel. Jesus came to live the perfect life as our substitute. In every single area where we fail to live a life of serving others, in every single area where we, we give in to the simple temptation of growing in, in, in sinful self, 
significance, Christ became our substitute. He took away our sin by being shamed himself. Our quest for simple significance cost him shame. And he gladly took on that shame so that his righteousness, his life of, of, of living an utterly selfless life, that could be credited to us. So when God sees us, it is as if we have never experienced any selfish significance whatsoever. The entire righteousness of Christ is given to us. That's a result of how Christ emptied himself. If this is the God we worship, if we indeed consider ourselves to be believers of Christ, if we indeed worship a God who emptied himself for the sake of others, can we go on filling ourselves? Can we go on pursuing selfish significance 100% of the time? Let us pray. Father, we worship you, Lord. And Lord, the beauty of God emptying himself four times over. Lord, I pray, Spirit of God, give our souls the grace to grasp this, to, to comprehend this, not just in an intellectual way, but in a deeply experiential way. Spirit of God, impress this into the depths of our hearts, that deep inside our hearts, we will turn and be transformed. And Lord, the thought of loving others, serving others, considering others more significant than ourselves, of looking after others' interests also, and not just our own interests, that all of this we will grow in. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen.